chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I met a man last week uh, who was in a profession that's, uh, for some, maybe an unpopular profession, puts him a, a little bit at odds, a little on the outside. He, he talked to me how he spent a year working on some things and, and going through and learning and studying, and, and then he took the exams, and he passed the exams, and he finally got his license to become a life insurance salesman. We all love salesmen, but I think we love life insurance salesmen the most, don't we? This man, he, he tried, he, he did everything he could, and he, he got, got the job, and then uh, he, he got the license, but he couldn't get clients. As hard as he tried, he could not get enough clients. You know, it was kind of like the businessman that, that let an insurance guy in to see him, and he says, you know, you ought to feel honored. So far today, I've had my secretary turn away seven insurance agents, and the man looked at him and said, I know, I'm all seven of them. This man that I met was already an outsider by his profession. Already, he, he's, he's on the outside, trying to break in everywhere he goes. But it didn't help. It didn't help that 15 years ago, he had moved here from Persia, which you would call Iran. Coming up to someone trying to sell them life insurance with a name like Omid was a really hard thing to do. He was treated as an outsider. Skepticism, disbelief, closed doors everywhere he went. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever felt like you're on the outside and you don't 
know how to get in. How does an outsider get in? Well, we could ask that of our text today. How does an outsider get in? How does someone on the outside of Israel be taken in to these people? Well, we know that if you want to be an Israelite, you are born into it. And then you are circumcised the eighth day. And then you follow the law and you fulfill certain duties and obligations. But to be a true Israelite, to be a true Israelite, you have to embrace God's covenant from the heart. You have to show that you are not just an Israelite on the outside, you are an Israelite on the inside as well. Word and action. If you fast forward from now, you can see in New Testament times that some Pharisees got this confused, and so they would talk to John the Baptist, and he would criticize them over this. They talked to Jesus, and we see this in John chapter 8. Jesus says this. He says, they said, Abraham is our father. In other words, we're Jews. We're Israelites. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Right? And then he goes on to explain a little bit about what he means there. But the point is this. You need to be an Israelite in the heart. That's, that's what is the question here. And so far, what we see of Boaz... So far, what we see of Boaz is that he has proven to be a true Israelite. You can look back at 2.1, and he has the the ethnic portion there. He's uh, of the clan of Elimelech, but he also has the heart portion there where it says he is a worthy man, a man of noble character. The text is trying to signal us that he is a true Israelite. And then we see through his actions how he cares for widows. He is a godly man at heart. And now the function, when you find a true Israelite in the text, the function is to show what it means to be an Israelite. So here, Boaz becomes something of an exemplar. He's showing us what it means to be an Israelite. But if you were here last week... If you were here last week and you heard Nick's message, you know that we have just hit a little complication in the text. There is this tension going on with this nighttime meeting. The threshing floor is this place that sometimes was known for a lot of uh, really kind of crazy stuff. It, it could have been a place where, where the guys would hang out and they would let loose. And sometimes a woman or two might show up and things would go from there. And so here is this tension of this nighttime meeting. And now I want to be honest, there is some language in here that highlights that tension. It highlights that tension for us, and we don't have time to go into all of that. And then we see here that it says, Boaz, he he ate, he drank, and his heart was merry. And then he falls down and he lays down and goes to sleep. And so now, as we're reading this text, we're thinking, is he really a true Israelite? I think a simple answer is probably best. And there are a whole bunch of reasons that we can go into this. But the simple answer is probably best here. When we look at the beginning of the story and we see that he is a worthy man and we look at the end of the story and we see how that ends, a simple answer fits this best. The harvest has just ended. He is probably there to watch over the harvest. He lays down near the piles 
We don't know what he ate, and we don't know what he drank or how much, but we do know that he passed the sobriety test, okay? He passes his sobriety test. Have you ever seen, uh, it was an old, an old comedy that was on, uh, on TV, and this cop, you know, pulls the guy over, and he gets out, and he says, what's the problem? And she says, well, you know, I'm pulling you over. You're kind of weaving all over the road. I need you to recite the alphabet backwards. Boom, he does it. She says, okay, well, I've never actually seen anybody do that before. I need you to walk on this line and just walk straight. He does it. And then she starts adding complications, and she says, okay, now I want you to walk, kick, walk, kick. And by the end of it, now he's suggesting new dance moves. And what if we did this and did that? And he spins, and he jumps, and he leaps, and he lands. And she looks at him, and she says, oh, my goodness, are you a dancer? And he says, no, I'm just drunk. It's funny because we know that no drunk person could ever do that. They could never be so reasonable. They could never be so coordinated. They could never get through all of these things. When you look at verses 10 through 13 and you see the way that Boaz responds, ask yourself, does this sound like a drunk person who's woken up in the middle of the night? And he said to you, and he said to her, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now my daughter do not fear. Does this sound like someone who has had a a bit of a binge night? No. The text doesn't give us any reason, in spite of the tension, in spite of what's there, the text doesn't give us any reason to believe Boaz stopped being anything other than an honorable man, anything other than a true Israelite. And you need to remember that because that will become important in a minute. Now, what about Ruth? What do we make of her situation? Here is Ruth. Naomi has put her in a tough spot, and she said, she said I want you to go down. I want you to be there, and I want you to, to, to uncover his feet, and then I want you to wait there, and then when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do, and you just do everything that he said. And so she goes, and she, she gets there, and she uncovers his feet, and then he wakes up, and he asks who she is, and she tells him, but then she changes the plan a little bit. She doesn't just sit there and wait. What she does is she, she looks at him and she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She doesn't wait. She asks him for redemption. And what we see here, this is something of a common expression. Some cultures still use this today. But we see this, this expression used of of being covered by wings. We see it in Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. We see it in Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. And we see it in Ruth a little bit earlier on the lips of Boaz speaking to Ruth when he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What is Ruth saying here? 
What is she really saying in this situation? She comes in, she takes the initiative as she has throughout the whole story, and she says to Boaz, Boaz, it's you. You, you are the shelter that God has provided for me. And, and so, so here she comes and she says, redeem me, which really meant marry me. This is a proposal. Ruth comes and she proposes to Boaz and she says, marry me. Answer your own prayer here. You, you are the answer to the prayer that I'm taking shelter in the refuge of the Lord's wings. Marry me. And she comes and she says, redeem me. And Boaz looks at her and he doesn't say, what are you talking about? He, he doesn't say, get away from me. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord. And now, yes, he, he goes on, and he's going to mention that complication of, now there is somebody else we need to talk to first. But he says, may you be blessed by the Lord. Why does he do that? Because he recognizes what's going on with her. He recognizes what she is really doing here. He says it. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. Kindness to whom? Kindness to him? Maybe. But what she's really done is she's come to him with an obligation. She's, she's come to him and she says, I don't have anything. I, I have nothing I can contribute, nothing I can offer. Uh, I'm, I'm just a big obligation, but help me. Kindness to him? She has done a kindness to Naomi. You see, she could have gone after the young men. She could have gone after anybody. She could have found somebody that, that maybe she would have... Maybe she would have found somebody younger, wealthier, handsomer. Is that a word? But instead, what does she do? At her own expense, she is pursuing redemption. She is pursuing that answer that the line of Elimelech carries on. That, that Naomi's family can continue. And so she comes to this man that she has found out as a redeemer. And she says, redeem me. Redeem me, not just for my sake, but for Naomi's. Redeem me. And he sees in this, by her words, the, the, these vows that she's made, binding herself to Naomi. He sees in her actions that she's not just gathering food. Now she's come and said, take care of, of my mother-in-law and my family for the rest of our lives. And he sees that she has come with a sincere and a true heart. And he declares her a worthy woman. Same words we read about Boaz, now we read them about Ruth. He, she is a worthy woman. She is in her heart a true Israelite. Even though she's from Moab. And he promises her acceptance and redemption. You see that in verse 13. He says, remain tonight and then the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it, Right? I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. And if he won't do it, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And then later when Ruth talks to Naomi, Naomi hears that and she knows his character. And she says, if he said it, he's going to do it. He makes a promise that she will be accepted, that she will be redeemed. And this, this is why it's so important to focus on him as a true Israelite. Because we learn something from what he does here. A true Israelite doesn't typically do something that God is going to disapprove of. And so if you were a Jew reading this in ancient times, you would get the point. If a true 
Israelite accepts this outsider and can speak to her as a worthy woman and calls her a worthy woman, that means God accepts her too. If God accepts her, then that must mean that he accepts all of those who come to him with a sincere heart. Do you catch that? He's accepting Ruth, the Moabite, the widow. That means God is accepting her. And if God accepts her, then he must accept all of those who come to him with a sincere heart. Now, people are inclined to do the opposite. We know that. We know that. And I want you to stop and just think for a second. And if you need to close your eyes, you can do it. And we've done this before, but we're going to do it again. Who could walk through that door right now that you would see them and you would say, "Uh uh-uh, turn around. Nope, not today. Oh, you know what? We are actually just done. We're finishing up right now. Time to go. Who could walk through that door? Who could walk through that door? Maybe it's a family member, ex from a bad divorce. Let's, let's, let's go out a little further, right? This is the place where people come to seek God. What if a Muslim in traditional clothing and all walked in seeking God, trying to find out who is this God you say you believe in? What if it's the middle school kid that, that broke our pedestals that walks in there, right? Uh-uh, turn around. You're just here to cause trouble. I, I'm going to watch you. I'm not going to let you go. Go break something else. You already broke those, right? Who could walk through that door seeking God with a sincere heart that we would say, turn around. Our inclination is to say to others, clean yourself up and then you can come. Take that Biden sticker off. Take that Trump sticker off. Then you can park in our parking lot, right? You know what? I think you want the church down the road. And we we say this to ourselves too, don't we? Once I fix my problem, then I will go to God. You know what? I'm going to work on this, and I'm just going to get a little bit better so that he'll accept me. Maybe we even look at ourselves and say, you know what? I've just, I've done too much. I've done too much. He will never accept me. I am stuck on the outside forever. But we serve a God who delights in welcoming outsiders and making them his own. He delights in that. What happens here in Ruth where Boaz is saying, I promise I will redeem you. I promise I will make you fully a part of the people of God. That you will be embraced in this community and you will be changed and you will be cared for and you will be loved. God delights in seeing that happen. And we can even measure our understanding of the gospel by how much we delight in welcoming outsiders. See, if we don't want to see people different than us join our work, our family, our church, our community, if we don't want to see them join us as they are seeking God, guess what? We're out of step with the gospel. We, we, would, we would fail that test here. But if we delight in it, it's a sign that we understand the only reason any of us are here is because God delights in accepting outsiders like us. Think about what we see in Jesus. Jesus is the true Israelite. He came down to our threshing floor, the world, the place where all the sin happens. And he came down to our threshing floor. He spent time with sinners like us. And if anyone comes to him with a sincere heart, if anyone comes to Jesus, Moabite, Hittite, Israelite, Jebusite, all the ites, 
You could be from Persia, from Denmark, Australia, China. You could be tall, short, popular, or lonely. You could be male, female. You could be struggling with it. You could be rich. You could be poor. You could be a sheriff. You could be a criminal. You could be a capitalist, a socialist, an anarchist, young, old, educated, or a dropout. But if you come to Jesus for refuge and you say to him, save me, redeem me, take me on. I have nothing to offer you. I'm just a big obligation. The scripture says in Romans 10, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who what? Call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now let me tell you this. You will only find this with Jesus. You will only find this with Jesus. You can't find it in any other person and you cannot find it in any other religion. There are always conditions. Every other religion, there are always conditions. It's always works-based. And you will always wonder, have I done enough? Have I done enough to earn this? And even if you start sometimes feeling like the answer is yes, let me just ask you, what if you missed something? What if you missed something? Did you get it all? Did you do everything? Did you do all the things? What if you missed something? But with Jesus, you don't have to earn anything because he already did it for you. All we have to do is come to him and say, redeem me, save me, help me. And you know what? That's actually what he loves to do. That's why he came. Do you remember this? In Matthew 23, 37, he's standing there looking at Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen, listen, gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Jesus loves to do this. He loves to bring people in. And so the question for us is, are we willing? And the other question is, are our eyes open for those who are outside? Are our eyes open for those who are on the outside, who who maybe they're willing, maybe they're thinking about it, maybe they're close. Are our eyes open? If they are, then it might be a little bit like a different insurance agent named Don Ritchie. He was in the Royal Australian Navy in World War II. He witnessed the surrender of the Japanese in Tokyo Bay. And then when he got out, he went back to Australia. And what did he do? He sold life insurance. He ended up buying a house next to a place called The Gap, which is that cliff behind him in Sydney. And that is a place where people would go to jump. But his eyes were open. It didn't matter what someone looked like. It didn't matter their background, religion, politics. If he saw somebody standing out on that edge, he would walk out there to him and he'd say, hey, can I help you? Why don't you come inside? Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's have a cup of tea. And they would sit and they would have a conversation. And over 45 years, his family said he probably saved at least 500 people from that jump. He said, when someone asked him about it later, he said, you can't just sit there and watch them. Are our eyes open? 
Are we looking for people to bring them to Jesus? Are we bringing them to the one who can fill their hands with good things? Do you remember that? Do you remember what Naomi said when she arrived back in 121? She said, God has abandoned me. My hands are empty. But what did Boaz do? He says, come here, Ruth. And he loads her up. It could have been up to 80 pounds of grain. He loads her up and he sends her back. And when Ruth gets there, Naomi says, why did he send you with all of this? And she says, he told me, you must not go back empty-handed. When you come to Jesus, you will never leave empty-handed. When you come to him and you say, save me, redeem me, your hands will be filled with something that can never be taken away. Something that the Bible calls an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So let's all bring ourselves before Jesus, the true Israelite, with, with nothing to offer except ourselves and say, Jesus, save me. And then let's keep our eyes open for those who need to come to him as well. Let's pray.